Randall Goosby, welcome to All Classical Portland. I'm John Pittman, the program director here. And uh, I have an arts blog that we put on our website with the interviews interwoven with some of the music, which in this case is going to be your debut recording on DECA called Roots. So welcome to All Classical Portland. Thanks so much, John. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Randall, I first learned of you, of course, through Crossover Media and through DECA from emails and so forth. And not long after that, on television, on CBS, they were showing that the Kennedy Center honors were going to be broadcast. So my wife and I said, well, let's let's watch it. And along comes this sequence with young musicians. And I said, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> He's Randall Gooseby. He's got a new CD coming out. <laughs> so um, was that a lot of fun to do? It was kind of, you know, like everything else in the pandemic, kind of an unusual way to do things. Yeah, it was certainly unusual. Um, I, I had a great time, though. I mean, it was a sort of crossover tribute to Midori and uh, and a couple of the other honorees as well. Um, I got a little taste of what the, I guess, what the TV film industry is like in terms of, uh, you know, wardrobe and makeup and a lot of waiting around for things to actually start and things to get set up. But uh, it was a great time, and, and I was I was really honored to be there in celebration of uh, Midori, who was one of my childhood uh role models and idols. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a great program. It's not your only video foray, I would say, because uh, you and your friend, the composer Xavier Dubois-Foley, yes. created that terrific uh, video of his piece called Shelter Island. Let's start off with that, since it leads your your new CD, uh, your debut CD, Roots. Um, when I watched it and listened to it, it felt like a piece that has several sections and and, and a change, several changes of mood. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Xavier and I go way back. We've known each other for about ten years, uh, but after all this time, this is the first time we've really been able to collaborate in this way. Uh, you know, I, I was very grateful uh, for his interest in lending his voice to this project, and I really wanted, um, you know, to have a, a living uh, African American composer to be a part of this sort of lineage that that we strung together for this for this album. Um, and Shelter Island is a sort of homage to our to our early days together on Shelter Island at the Perlman Music Program, uh, which is where. Uh, not where we first met officially, but that's where we first sort of got to know each other and spend some time together. And uh, I remember just being absolutely uh, just taken by by his incredible uh, facility on the bass. I'm pretty sure he could probably play like the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto on the double bass if he wanted to. I mean, he's he's that uh, prolifically skilled. Uh, but then, you know, years after he, he, you know, over time started uh, getting more and more into composing. And every time I heard a piece of his, uh, you know, I just, I gravitated more and more towards his voice. And, and I actually had a couple of chances to play with him, uh, his his own compositions over the past several years, but unfortunately our schedules didn't line up or whatever the case may be. So this was the first time we've had a chance to really work together. Um, and I'm so happy with, with the way it turned out. I mean, I wanted to give Xavier pretty much full artistic license uh, to create whatever it was that he wanted to say, whatever, whatever he was feeling. And I was 
uh, pleasantly surprised to to find that the piece was was based on sort of our younger days uh, on Shelter Island. So the piece has a lot of uh, nostalgia in it for me personally, and uh, as you mentioned, it, it moves through a number of different moods and sections, as well as uh, you know, it draws influence from a number of different sources. Everything from bluegrass to you know pop music to solo Bach. I mean, it, it's all wrapped up in there. So I, I think it's a really fantastic uh, little sampling of Xavier's work. And I'm, again, just really grateful uh, to have included his voice on this project. Randall, since you mentioned the Perlman uh, program, tell us about your relationship with Mr. Perlman, Itzhak Perlman, um, described as your protege, your mentor. What's the current teacher-student relationship that you have going on with Mr. Perlman? Well, it's been longstanding, to say the least. I mean, that, that first summer where I met Xavier, 2011, was when I officially began studying with Mr. Perlman. After that summer, I, I uh, auditioned and was accepted to the Juilliard pre-college program, where I continued studying with him throughout uh, uh, the remainder of my high school years, continued on with him for four years of undergrad, and uh, I'm now back with him for the Artist Diploma Program, which basically allows uh, sort of pre-professional or postgraduate students the time to travel and, and you know, keep up a, a real performance schedule while still being able to uh, have private lessons and, and sort of try out some repertoire in small recital settings at Juilliard. So, you know, Mr. Perlman has, needless to say, been absolutely crucial and instrumental in my development. Um, you know, when I was much younger, I would ask him questions about technique. You know, what do you, how, how do you vibrate or how do you sustain in the bow in the way that you do? And obviously, you know, I've gotten some great feedback from him in that regard. But I think these days, you know, a lot of what I talk to him about is is life, you know, is, is life as a, as a performer and life as a, a touring um, musician and you know, his experience with, with, you know, different audiences and speaking to audiences or not and, you know, programming and things like that. So it's a little bit more all-encompassing now, I would say, our relationship in terms of what we talk about and the things that I am sort of able to take away from, from our conversations together. But, uh, you know, he's been absolutely huge and, and has really opened my mind to, you know, aspects of, of playing violin and making music that otherwise, you know, may have taken me a little longer or I may not have ever even gotten to actually. I want to talk about your concept for Roots, your debut CD. I think that's central to this conversation, really, because you chose pieces by Black composers or a woman Black composer, Florence Price, who in recent years, wonderfully, thankfully, we've, we've started to hear her music performed more live in concert and on recordings. So what does the word Roots mean for you in relation to the music that you chose for this CD? Mm -hmm. Well, specifically in relation to the music, I'm looking at the roots of uh, American music and the roots of American classical music specifically and how pretty much all of that stems from, at least in part, 
black music and culture, going back to blues, jazz, gospel music, even as far back as the spiritual, uh, as reflected in Sammy Coleridge Taylor's uh, setting of Deep River. And I just wanted to highlight the fact that, you know, I wanted us to take a look back at where we've been, like where we're coming from, how we got to where we are today, and, and, and to highlight the fact that, you know, a lot of the reason for that, from a musical perspective, is because of black music and culture and these composers and their music and how it's grown and evolved through time. And we're now in a place where we have people like Xavier uh, who are composing uh, and performing uh, and, and so many other uh, young composers of color who are now coming to the fore. Um, so that was, that was the idea behind it. In addition, you know, I really wanted to take this opportunity uh, to pay tribute and homage and just say thank you in, in some way to people like Grant Still and Price and Perkinson and uh, and Coleridge Taylor, because these people in my mind have really made it possible and paved the way for myself and other young artists of color to feel uh, to feel free and to feel empowered to pursue a life or a career in classical music without that, uh, or at least the same level of fear or doubt or anxiety that some of these composers undoubtedly had to face in a time when you know racism in or out of classical music was nothing short of commonplace, if not accepted. And so, you know, thinking about the experiences of these composers and how those experiences somehow uh, were transformed and manifested into this music is really, really powerful. And it's something that uh, I think is worth listening to. You have currents that run through the music choices that you have. I mean, you could just kind of go back and forth. I mean, more than anything, I wanted to highlight the fact that, look, these are cherished, beloved composers that are a part of the sort of uh, traditionalist classical canon who their music as we know it would not be what it is without them hearing and being inspired and influenced by again black music and culture that trickle-down effect pervades so much of, of, of the musical and artistic and cultural scene here in America uh, and otherwise around the world obviously with Dvorak being a European composer and so I really wanted to highlight those uh, influences because I think so many more of those exist throughout history than we know of. Uh, so I sort of see this as a, as a first step in really trying to unearth uh, and rediscover some of those influences so that we can have a much more complete and comprehensive knowledge of really all of the, the cultures and backgrounds and human experiences that are encapsulated in classical music because I think that's what makes it such a special art form. I mean, it really is by and for everyone, and it can convey literally any human emotion that we know of, right? And we only know, you know, a handful of these, uh, you know, mammoth composers like Beethoven and Mozart and Bach and those people. And we only really scrutinize and analyze their music with a, with a level of intensity uh, that we do. It, it, it doesn't apply to so many other composers. And in, in, in the case of these composers, so many people don't even know that this music exists or has existed for decades. And so I wanted to really bring awareness to that uh, in the hopes of ultimately making classical music that much more inviting and welcoming uh, for people of all walks of life. Because I think for those who feel that their experience has not been reflected in the canon or in you know the people who, who consume classical music, it's not, it's not really something that people gravitate towards. So I, I'd like to have some small part at least in, in sort of changing uh, the fabric of how classical music is perceived.
Randall, you put on your disc Florence Price. I've already mentioned her once. Uh, my association with her music goes back at least 20 years. Nevertheless, while I did know of some Florence Price, you've, you've just made me aware through your debut of two pieces that I think are just absolutely stellar. The, the two fantasies that are on the disc. Those pieces just blew me away. I mean, they're, in, they're, they're intense, they're tautly constructed. Uh, you know, I wanna hear what you have to say about these pieces. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had the same reaction that you did. I think these are really, really special works. And I think uh, they really sort of capture at least a little slice of what Price's sort of language is. You know, it, it, it similarly to the Foley, which I was talking about a little earlier, it draws influence from so many different places. I mean, we know that she was a graduate uh, in composition of the New England Conservatory. Um, and so there are these sort of traditional European, like late romantic, um, you know, harmonies and phrase structures that we find throughout. But then in a matter, in a matter of, you know, a measure, we're suddenly in a completely different place and we're singing a spiritual or we're in church or something and we're, we're you know, we're, we're singing gospel music. Uh, and it just seamlessly transitions back and forth, uh, or at least so it sounds. I mean, I actually found it quite difficult to really, you know, shift uh, moods and shift modes and characters uh, that quickly. Because I think if, if, if both parts, the violin and piano, are not totally right there with each other and connected in in these feelings and in these characters the music is not as effective i think it really demands a lot of the performers it's not music that just plays itself and i think that's what makes it so special you know she had a lot to say and i think uh it's really up to the performers to bring out uh those little details and nuances so i was i'm so happy that you enjoyed these works i, I had hoped that uh they'd be a you know some of the a couple of the the, the real hits uh on the album because i think they're really special they're a revelation. I, I just couldn't couldn't believe it. And I love I love her symphonies. I love her piano pieces. Uh, these pieces are amazing. But I did want to touch on the Coleridge Taylor Perkinson. Uh, for our listeners to distinguish, we have Samuel Coleridge Taylor, who was British and about 100 years ago, and Coleridge Taylor Perkinson, um, contemporary composer. And a wonderful connection that I didn't know about, which is that he dedicated it to Sanford Allen, who was the first black uh, violinist the New York Philharmonic, and he's one of your mentors. He's he's part of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I first met Mr. Allen through Sphinx as well, um, and I had the chance after winning the junior division to perform the last movement of Blues Forms, which appears on the album, uh, the last movement called Jet and Blues, uh, for Sphinx's annual uh, Sphinx Virtuosi Tour that makes a stop at Carnegie Hall. Um, and I was pretty intimidated by that last movement because it's it's not easy. <laughs> I think I think anyone who listens to it can gather that. I mean, it's really funky and 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 the rhythm uh, is so swinging. It it really has to have this sort of natural feeling. But it, it it you know it's really well written. I think and working with Mr. Allen on it really was inspiring because I got a sense of really how how he the dedicatee of this piece has perceived it uh, and and what what parts of it what aspects of it he thinks are are very important. And we talked about. Uh, you know, the, the swing of the rhythm, especially in the last movement, he told me to sort of envision like, you know, a couple of guys in suits and top hats kind of like leaning and snapping to the music, you know, and it's got that um, kind of cool feeling to it. And same thing with the first two movements as well, although they're very, very different in texture and, and, in, and in mood. Um, 
just getting a sense of, of you know where he was coming from when he played and recorded this piece was really inspiring. On top of the fact that similarly to these to some of the composers on the album, uh, Mr. Allen had to navigate this field and try to make a make a name and a place for himself in this field of classical music in a time where you know racism and prejudice and bias. I mean, this was all commonplace, if not ex- expected in a way. And I can't imagine you know the emotional. Uh, and even physical toll that must take on a person to be the sort of one and only uh, almost feels like, I mean, I would imagine, I can't speak for him, but I would imagine that it almost feels like you're carrying the weight of an entire community uh, on on your shoulders by yourself, right, in this community. Under the microscope. Exactly, where you look around and uh, you don't see anybody who looks like you, you don't see anybody who you can relate to in that way, and yet he was able uh, to really make uh, of his career what he did, Uh, and I think he is another one of these great artists who have really paved the way for for myself, especially as a performer, to be able to do what I do uh, with confidence, so uh, very thankful to him, uh, not only for his, you know, dedication and his experience, but also for giving Parkinson someone to dedicate this piece to. I would imagine that he had a significant role in, in how the piece was constructed and, and eventually how it was perceived. It must, it must feel great to you to have that wonderful living connection through the music. Absolutely, absolutely, it's really special. Uh, I know I could just keep going, but I feel like <laughs> maybe we must one have more other calls waiting for you. Maybe one more. We haven't really talked about you. I want to let listeners know, you know, like Perlman, Perlman made a very youthful debut. Uh, you know, he was a child prodigy, too, and had television exposure, as, as you had this year on the Kennedy Center Honors and the, uh, so forth. But you you hit some marks at a pretty early age, making your concerto debut at age nine and uh, 13 with the New York Philharmonic and Young People's Concert. What was home life like? I mean, growing up, that that first spark, what was that with the violin? Well, the spark was actually just having the violin in my hands. I mean, those first few years when I played, I started when I was seven and probably until I was 10 or 11, uh, I didn't really put the instrument down. I would come home from school and instead of going out to play, you know, ride my bike with my friends or, or, you know, watch TV, I would, I would practice or I would just play. I guess in that, in my mind at that point, it didn't even really feel like practice. I just wanted to play this thing. Um, but you know, as far as home life goes, I mean, my, my younger siblings eventually also switched to violin, uh, cause they, I guess they saw how much I was enjoying it and they've since switched to, uh, cello for my younger brother and flute for my sister. Um, but you know, home life was, uh, was, was a beautiful thing, I think. You know, there was, there was a great balance uh, in our household all the time between, you know, do what you have to do, you know, get your work done, uh, but then also go out and have fun or like watch TV, you know, do, you know ha- have, a, have a childhood. Uh, and I'm really, really grateful for that because I think if it weren't for that, I probably wouldn't have the same, uh, the same relationship and the same connection with the violin because it was something that um, I always wanted to come back to you know what I mean? After doing the, so, this other thing, I was just like, okay, 
it's time to practice now, <laughs> you know, and I would, I would sort of get fired up about it. That was until I realized that I had to practice four hours a day in order to really get better and, and, and to get to where I wanted to go. That was when I sort of started to butt heads with my mom and she was saying, look, you can't do anything until you practice your three hours. And she was sitting there with a kitchen timer that, you know, I had to wait for the ding until I stopped practicing. And if I didn't, she would poke her head in the door and be like, sorry, that was only 52 minutes. You know, it was like, it got quite intense, but you know, I think that that sort of uh, work ethic and, and and discipline, I think, rubbed off on me eventually down the road. But again, at the same time, I had my dad uh, in the other corner saying, "Look, he's got his friends are outside knocking on the door with a basketball. Like, let him go outside and play. He's a, he's a kid, you know. Let him go have fun." So, um, I was motivated on both sides to do both to do both yeah. things. So uh, that that balance was was really. Uh, was really fundamental, I think, in, in my upbringing as well as my brother and sister as well. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like I, I can say it, it's paid off with uh, uh, signing on with DECA and having this wonderful debut. I can't wait to start getting the, the pieces onto all classical Portland and so that listeners can start to discover this music and your playing as well. Um, you know, I know that you could have started off with the classic Mendelssohn-Bruch concerto combination or something like that, but you chose to take make use of that opportunity to shine a light on, on some composers who in one regard or another have experienced neglect or prejudice, um, and, and you're helping to, to bring this to the world. I think that's a great thing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a it's been a real pleasure, and uh, looking forward to hopefully meeting and speaking with you in person someday. <laughs> <laughs>